0: This is the TRA Channel Podcast, What's the Opportunity? With Trevor Clark, Mark Isles, and Tim Dillon. Hi everyone, welcome to the TRA Channel Podcast, What's the Opportunity? Uh, my name is trevor clark and joining me today is mr tim Dillon and mr mark isles gentlemen how we doing uh just peachy TC. So.
1: great Trevor. great
0: excellent excellent um topic today um we're going to jump straight into it um after a vigorous discussion we just had uh, off record about uh the new windows um versions um which we might touch on in a, in another another conversation going forward but we're going to talk a little bit around Independent software vendors, ISVs. T D, what are they?
2: I oh, see. Now you've <laughs> you kind of lit the blue touch paper because I'm I'm really sick of the term ISV. I think we should try and I know it's embedded in the industry and we all use it, but it's it's such a pointless term these days. Um, so for me, I'm just gonna say an ISV these days is a organization that commercially develops and sells software. Um, and that can be, frankly, up to and including a bank if they have their own software that they commercialise out to either consumers or business, so it's a B2C or a B2B play. But the old ISV definition to me is is sort of a – it's an anachronism. It it doesn't quite fit, and we're trying to shoehorn everything into that. So that's my first little rant out of the way because I don't think ISV should be a term that we still use, but it's hard to come up with something else. So I'm going to say a company that commercialises software. Um, typically, these days, that's going to sit in a cloud platform, but that's a separate conversation. But
0: yeah, that's
2: uh, look, that's my view on it. I don't know if you guys view it differently.
0: I I, I agree personally. I'm going to jump in there because I agree. I, I'm I'm in vehement agreement with you, TD. One thing I would say though is... I think commercializing it and that, that idea of commercializing though should also be extended to those who provide software as part of services and may not necessarily and they develop that software themselves, but they may not necessarily look to monetize that software in and of itself. It may be, you know, a, a freemium kind of service, which they do. Now that can be for consumers, it can be B2B to C, whatever kind of business model that is. That's the only extension I'd put on that.
2: Yeah, I guess by commercialise, if I if I think about you know B2C. Um, uh, you know, look at uh, any number of of games or or commerce platforms that are that are free. They're commercialising it elsewhere through through the data and analytics of what we do and targeting of advertising and and all the rest of it. So for me, that's that still sits within commercialization. It's probably just a, a slightly different view on it. But yeah. Um, anyway, that's that's the joys of being an analysts. We could spend five hours <laughs> debating a definition.
1: And still no, I, I agree It's just a chip in on that as well. It's just like for there to be an independent software vendor, there must be a dependent software vendor, otherwise the category makes no sense. And I've never in my entire career come across a dependent software vendor. <laughs> so we do need <laughs> to find another industry term for that.
2: <laughs> Partially dependent. It doesn't work, does it? Um anywho, so that, that's my first little bit about ISVs. Um in, in Asia, as we know, it's it's a big old market. Um and and those that are cloud-based. I know you've got some information on that, TC, but those that are the, the cloud-based are uh, uh, continuing to to grow in size, running off of Azure or AWS or GCP, whatever it's going to be. Um, but from a, you know, it's it's interesting if you look at the breakdown of of software companies, shall we say, in uh, in Asia, how many of them are, are small, you know, less than 200 employees. Um, it's you know it's over ninety-seven, ninety-eight percent. I think from memory, ah, uh, uh, less than two hundred employees. So and you know, take out the global players, obviously. Uh, but that I think that always catches a few people by surprise. Uh, the the relative size of some of these companies, um, and then I guess in the B two B market, how many of them are what I would term sort of cross industry. So they're not focusing on specific verticals. They're they're providing, you know, business applications in conferencing and collaboration sectors or whatever. But it's it's over two thirds of of B two B software companies are, are focusing on more than one industry vertical, which mm. um, is always interesting. And then you you've got some that. Uh, focus very deeply on a single sector. You know, too, so if you remember the project we we worked mm. on last year, we we found a company up in uh, up in Brisbane that specialises in hairdressing salon appointments software. Yeah, the biggest thirty odd of- thousand customers around the world. Yeah. Um, so it's it, yeah, you know, it's it's a funny old market in terms of the di- dynamics, and and probably the last kickoff comment from me, I guess, is in in terms of. Countries in, in Asia Pacific, in no particular order, you know, in in terms of those markets with the the largest number of ISVs. Look, you got Japan in there. You know, Australia is definitely there. India, without question. Uh, Singapore, South Korea, and and then uh, you go into those markets like Vietnam, which you've got a huge number of, of development shops, which from from a channel perspective you know an important influence on on the, the cloud platform for example that the companies are, are using so it's yeah mm-hmm. that's enough for me i could rabbit on about this for ages but there's kind of my opening comments anyway
0: yeah yeah we 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 kind of deliberately exclude china there don't we just because how large yeah. that market is as well um, yeah. completely completely another sphere of innovation happening there but it's a good point as well i just wanted to touch on a couple of those points A couple other data points with it is that um, the vast majority or still roughly one in two organizations who are software companies, like we described before, are older than 2015 and very small, have less than $50 million in US dollars in revenue. That's the vast majority of, of the software companies that are out there today. So all of this. All the news that you see around all the startups and unicorns and all that sort of thing, while it's great and it's definitely opportunity with those, there's still a huge amount of opportunity with some of these other um, software companies that have been around for some time. And as we said, in the US, as an example, you've got a, a huge number of software companies that focus on managing IT or or that are tooling as yeah. part of the 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 stack itself. But in Asia Pacific, it's very, very different. The vast majority are actually those business applications. Um, over 90, 90 to ninety-five percent, I think we 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 ended up with yep. as part yeah. of the research. So it's a different opportunity. You know, you need to have a, a business lens when you're working with uh with as a channel partner, when you're working with these software companies, you need to understand their business and their customers. So it's a very different conversation from the the whole providing tooling and management.
2: Sorry, the the other thing, sorry, just occurred to me too. Remember when we were doing that project? Um, What, uh, comment to to channel. (laughs) Wait for it, wait for it. Comment (laughs) about channel uh, and and size of markets. Mm. What we have found. And we, you know, we're analysts. We can make data say anything. That's that's part of what we're supposed to do, theoretically. Um, but the thing that surprised me when we were doing that project—you remember all the ISV and the software associations and et cetera, that we spoke to—and and, you know, the the various government bodies—and nobody really bloody knows. I mean, that was that was my conclusion from all those interviews and all that research we did around the various industry associations, government bodies promoting, you know, software and software development, and so forth. There's a tremendous amount of inflation to those numbers but we've oh, that we found. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you know who I'm talking about. And um, I, I guess to to any anybody in the channel that when when you're looking at these numbers and you're getting something from a country market that says, you know, we, we've got seventy thousand software companies in, in our country and yeah take it with a bit of a grain of salt because the numbers are are not accurate in many instances as we, as we found out anyway, sorry that was just, to, just so
0: throw in. yes particularly particularly when they well first of all, as tim said they don't know the older software companies because the, the the business demographic categorizations which most of the statistical agencies or the registration okay. Agencies use is just completely outdated and hasn't captured it. So it's bundled in with a whole bunch of other industries um, and different kinds of services. So it doesn't make sense. And then you have that problem of the let's let's promote our country uh, by saying you know as a great business destination as an innovation hub because we've got this many startups, which may be one individual that's you know registered five different startup ideas with them, and you know you multiply that out, and it, it, it totally. Um, totally inflates the numbers far too much Uh, so yeah do 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 throw salt on it when you can uh, (laughs) now mark you you, you've also been looking at the m a side of of the software
1: industry right Uh, well and the funding side too because you know for for a while australia has really been the poor cousin uh in the startup world with, with you know with a couple of notable exceptions uh like atlassian obviously uh, other than that, there's, there's been some innovation in Australia, but we've really been a little bit subpar compared to the rest of the world. And some of that was driven by, frankly, by cost of labor here, by the size of the domestic market and the difficulties of exporting, even with a sort of a fast type application. But we're beginning to see that turn around. So it's the most buoyant, certainly now that I've seen it for the last 10 years, and a couple of quick stats. If you looked at, for example, venture capital funding, which is obviously oriented towards the kind of high growth SaaS oriented businesses, but in Australia, Australian data. So if you take uh fy 21 just finished uh there was two and a half billion dollars uh which sounds like a lot of money because it it is a lot of money but more importantly that's actually up from 1.95 billion in the previous year so there's another 550 million has come into the marketplace Mm. Uh, and again we're seeing this everywhere and so just in terms of deals that was that represents 327 deals in uh, so australian vc investment deals in fy 21 and that's up from 311 in the previous year. So we're still seeing that continued upward trajectory and some quite interesting ones, you know, uh, some of the obvious ones, Airwallex, uh, Athena, Safety Culture, Honey, Nourish Ingredients. There were some good kind of, you know, seed round startups and, and also sort of, you know, later Series A or Series B investment rounds that, that came through. So we're, we are starting to see actually a little bit of a kind of a kickstart to that and a lot of sort of groundswell. And it's, it's interesting to your, to your point, Tim, around the industry associations, The people that know the most about the software business right now, it's not the associations they think they do. They don't actually know. Who knows? Mm. The venture capital funds have the best databases of anybody. They know exactly who's who in the zoo and who's doing what and who's in what market segment and which ones they're going to fund. So if you look at all you've really got to do, as always, and it's very true in life in general, but is follow the money. And if you follow the money, it'll lead to actually where the growth is. And and we're also seeing that on the M&A side, of course. So you look at some of the exits, just a couple in the last three months. uh, Task Retail was uh, acquired by... Uh, Pletcher, That was 120 million dollar deal. That's a good transaction. Retail platform, interesting play. Uh, and even this, this, you know, much smaller transaction, but Brisbane-based Notiv or Notiv uh, was acquired by Dubber. Uh, that was around 6.6 6 million. That was again cloud, sort of native AI-based transcription uh, for transcribe, automatic mm-hmm. transcribing, So you've got these some of these kind of like really sort of funky little startups coming in Australia, and a lot i'm certainly seeing it being a lot more buoyant than it's been for a long time and, and the vc is getting quite bullish here they were previously very california oriented and, and to a lesser extent europe but we started to see some investment here which is i think really positive for the for the local market
0: you know what i'd i'd actually um i see i see um a lot of echoes of that whole uh, you know, we're not really putting enough money into startups. We don't really have a, a vibrant system that you you know, that you described in Australia. That echoes me in so many places across Asia Pacific. Japan has exactly the same the same mindset about it. You know, people keep saying, oh, Japan's not innovative. There aren't any great startups here. You know, the money's not there, et cetera, et cetera. But when you really dig into it and you have a look, there are there's there's a whole bunch of great companies doing some very interesting things that are getting some excellent funding. Um, and are doing and you know doing some some really great stuff Korea South Korea is exactly the same um when they think about themselves in a global lens and and doing that comparison I'm not always sure that it helps um you know I, I really do think and I do think you need to look at country by country um because the 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 types of software companies that are proving successful and have momentum whether it's just through funding but all through customer numbers or actually through financial returns is very much country by country based um, uh, so sure. you look at you, you look at somewhere like um, uh, the the Hill in which is a a site in Japan that sort of tracks SaaS companies, and it's huge. There's so many. It's and and it's so different when you look at who's actually involved um, in the market here versus you look at elsewhere. Um, you, you wouldn't recognise the companies themselves. So re- really important um, to, to if you are someone who is looking at a, a cross regional or, or multi country play, that you keep that in mind. Um, you know, you can't just take the one player through everywhere.
2: Actually, you know, you sort of expanded outside of that particular area in Japan. I mean, look at New Zealand, right? I mean, that's yep. that's a market that, on its own, is is a small market. Um, yet, the number of Kiwi companies that are that are having success exporting, if you like, into Australia, into the US, into to Europe, um, other parts of Asia, is is ridiculously disproportionate to almost the size of the sector there in NZ. Then um, there's a hell of a lot of in- uh, innovation, excuse me, driven, I think, in part due to the relatively small size of the domestic market. You know, it's that's a great one to, for me when I'm Look at inspiration for what's happening in the software space. You want to look to to New Zealand as opposed to Australia, which could upset a few people.
0: As I say that, <laughs>
2: anyway, I'm i Tasmanian, so the Big Island and the ones to the, the east don't really count. But anyway,
0: well, actually, I think that's a great topic to talk about we'll, we'll, in a in a in a future episode. Is is the 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 specific sectors which are popular in different countries, which where the, the software yeah. companies are going well. Because New Zealand, as you're right, has some, some very big focus on some particular areas. Um, so that some of the time tracking stuff and the HR stuff is very popular in New Zealand that have, have proven yeah. successful. And then Australia, for example, some of the legal stuff um, has been really, really strong too. So there's there's many of those unique sectors which could help, uh, which we'll talk about yeah. in future areas. Um did anyone have any other particular trends that they they wanted to touch off before I talk about platforms? Uh. Go no, chat about no
1: that. I think we'll. Uh, uh, I
0: think we'll let you go. No, right, well, because it's it's one of the things that we we get asked quite a lot is you know that question of are you know, is every software company going to be you know shifting what they do and selling it as a service off one of the, the hyperscale cloud providers? Um, and we get this question quite a bit. We've done a number of projects trying to help organisations work through this kind of question. Um, and it, and it's there there you would assume, uh, or the assumption that a lot of people have is that, yeah, absolutely, they're all going to move on to uh, you know, a, a hyperscale cloud, whether it's in particular GCP, AWS, or, or Azure, um, or alternatively in, in mainland China, it's the Alibaba question, or in South Korea, Naver as well as another one, um, who is is obviously domestically very strong for this. But the data doesn't actually show us that they're solely going to be moving on to like everyone else it's it kind of reflects the market trend that not everyone is moving on to a hyperscale cloud and using the marketplaces that are that are available to them on those clouds because one um, doesn't always make financial sense, um, particularly if you're getting larger and larger as a as a software company. You need to scale that that cost consideration. As we've seen many many times with with even some of the consumer apps mm. and also some of the business apps, it doesn't always it doesn't always calculate out in your favour if you are on a on a hyperscale cloud. Um, two the the marketplaces are just um, I don't know how to say it politely, but most of them are just terrible okay. terrible experiences. Yeah. Very hard to very hard to search, very hard to find what you want, and it's it's similar trying to find a partner on some of those things, some of those partner finder things. So if you're trying to, you know, if you're trying to, if you're an end user customer and you want to find a particular piece of software and then a partner that might actually be able to implement it for you, it's so convoluted to use those marketplaces. Surely, you know, you'd expect that to hopefully improve in the next couple of years but at the moment it's it's shocking so as a as a tool to drive new business for a software company it's not the greatest although some of the other uh associated um mechanisms that that large vendors platform vendors have can be very good can be very helpful um obviously bringing the the lead generation stuff and lead registration stuff can be good um some of them have done you know quite quite strongly but that's usually for those who are already large or have a, a good brand smaller providers it's very very hard yeah. to do that um but we also see many some smaller companies start to also um, locate on edge platforms and some of the private cloud stuff happening at the moment as well there's a few in australia in particular that i know um occupational health and safety stuff which has been done in edge environments which are you know mm. um and there's a couple of others who are running their own platforms. Um, I th- uh, a couple of large supply chain related ones I know who run their own global um, cloud themselves to to do this. So if you're a channel partner looking at it, keep that in mind because there is still opportunity to um not just you know you can still do it as a service model um, and constructs, so an annuity model in terms of subscription for your for the customer itself. Um, or if you're the software lead or the software uh, owner, business owner itself, um you've got options. It doesn't not everything is saying you have to just go to a hyperscale cloud. So I guess that's the that's the other that's the the trend that we wanted to to really note because I think commercially for the channel and the software companies themselves, it's a really critical decision to consider. You know, yes, moving to a as a service model is, you know it that continues and that request and that demand from the customers is certainly there, and that trend we see is absolutely continuing. But where you locate and and how you locate um, the actual workloads for your customers, there's a lot of options um, and you don't necessarily need to be tied into just one um, And that's that's what I wanted to say about mm. platforms. I could keep going, but um, it's a very long conversation, but there's there's certainly some some very key trends there. Yeah, it's a tricky one, though, right? Because how, how do you make marketplaces better? You know, it's like that's a that's a bugger of a thing well, to
1: do. Well, I actually think the question is, what is the role of a marketplace? Because I would argue yep. they try and make the marketplaces too often enterprise oriented. And if I'm an enterprise account and I'm looking for solutions in my particular industry, I'm not going to a marketplace to do that. I'm going to contact the vendor yep. directly or. We, there's, there's a million other ways that I can go and find that. I'm not going to go, oh, you know what? I'm going to spend 10 minutes searching through marketplace in case there's a solution that solves my specific digital transformation need for my multi-billion dollar company. It's not what it is. That's, that's a scenario that just isn't happening. So I, I think the real question is, who is the marketplace actually for? Is it just to make vendors feel good that they've got all these solutions? Because if they're enterprise-level ISVs, and you see this with the big hyperscalers now, it's, about a, it's actually about joint engagement and joint enterprise selling between key vertical ISVs and solution providers and enterprise reps. And marketplaces are for consumers and small businesses. And I think we just kind of, until we understand that those things don't blur over to each other, uh, I don't think they're going to go anywhere.
0: I, just yeah, my, I,
1: my personal five cents.
0: <laughs> uh, no, I agree. I, <laughs> I, I agree um I agree that they they are terrible enterprise experiences as they are and the role of it is but I think that's that's a huge gap that you've just identified that someone could fill you don't want it to just be an enterprise you know bundling every enterprise together I think there's actually a really good role to play for some of these for the vendors themselves so the platform vendors to actually fill that and say well okay if you are someone who's in healthcare and you want to go and find particular patient record solutions that you might have, there's got to be a better way of presenting that information and helping those enterprises to to be that role rather than having to do a Google search or you know go through all of the different analyst reports that rank vendors and have all that sort of stuff. there's got to be a better way of doing it. Um, you know that does that does address an enterprise level need uh, for it, but currently it's not there. It's absolutely not there, but I would agree with you that the gen- generic software marketplace <laughs> are absolutely should be consumer or um, or, or SMB focused. But even at, even at an SMB level, the, the the search and the experience itself is just so ordinary at the moment. Everyone's <laughs> sites are the same. Yeah, it's it's really hard to find anything that's actually useful for me. And then even if you do find it, how do you trust it? Um, well, that's it, right? And and yeah, you know, some of that
2: buying behavior stuff that we've done. We, you know, you look at say where medium enterprises want to look for for information or or even even you know trials, they don't reference very much the marketplace. It just doesn't come up. Yeah. so it's, it's almost that's not quite an afterthought. It is there, but it, it's not. You know, it's not a top five.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. It, uh, that peer. That peer reports, consultants, Mm. um, going to the vendor directly, as you said, Mark, yeah, very true. They were all much higher and marketplaces themselves but well, anyway let's let's finish there because i can keep going about my thoughts on marketplaces but i'll probably better stop <laughs> otherwise <words. laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um so that's just a uh, uh, an introduction we we obviously have been doing quite a bit on smb in the last few episodes but we also do quite a, a lot of work around um, the software industry uh today so we just wanted to introduce some of the the highlight um data points that we see um, and also some of the major questions that come through to us uh, quite a lot. But we'll dig into a few more as we go forward in the next couple of episodes. So, gentlemen, thanks very much for your thoughts and time today. Good to talk to you as always. My All right. And thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next time. This was the TRA Channel Podcast. Watch the opportunity. Software companies in Asia Pacific. Have a great week. All of those.